Today on the Show Me Institute podcast, Dr. Susan Pendergrass is joined by Dr. Andrew Biggs. Dr. Biggs is a resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, where he studies Social Security reform, state and local government pensions, and public sector pay and benefits. They discuss the myth of the American retirement crisis. Find more Show Me Institute podcasts on SoundCloud at SoundCloud slash Show Me Institute and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Here's Dr. Susan Pendergrass and Dr. Andrew Biggs. I read an article that you wrote in The Hill that said the thing that I'm used to hearing that 50% of people at retirement age have no retirement savings, whatever that line is, I have believed to be true. And then I read your article and found out that I have been misled, that it's really a myth. And the more I looked, you know, as I read your article and the more I thought about it, it made more sense to me that, of course, because if you look at the poverty rates for senior citizens versus children and, you know, why did I believe that to be true? And I don't have an answer other than that's what I'm being fed. So why do you want to bring us back to reality so that we can have an honest conversation about this topic? Well, I think that's worth doing. Um, You know, there's a ton of press coverage about people's retirement savings or Americans saving enough. You see various studies claiming we face a retirement crisis. And this is an area where I think the news media has really, really fallen down, where they have not, uh, I mean, there's a lot of data and research out there, you know, by, by good researchers looking at how much we're saving for retirement, looking at retirement incomes, and they just don't show the kinds of problems Even that you the read census, about in the newspaper. The Census Bureau, right? They have a couple studies that refute that. And they have, oh, no, sure. they have no interest in taking a side. Exactly. And, you know, I used to work at the Social Security Administration. We use a very sophisticated, what's called a micro-simulation model, to look both at today's retirees, but also to project retirement incomes into the future. And it projects nothing like a retirement crisis. So this is a case where the media, and, and I mean, some of it is a little bit of bias on their part, but some of it is that if you're, in, if you're selling newspapers yeah. or wanting people to click on your stories, uh, you know, a story titled, hey, uh, retirement savings is going pretty well. Nobody clicks on that. But, you know, you're doomed. Here comes a retirement crisis. That generates the clicks. So there's this variety of things conspiring to produce a very bad set of, of reporting on this issue. And so I also was wondering if you, you know, your opinion on this. Is it because the baby boomers are all now moving into retirement? The baby boomers have sort of dominated media from when they were born. Now until the, when they retired, now it's like, let's keep the attention focused here. Now let's talk about old age. Now let's talk about the needs of senior citizens. Um, what do you think? That- well, the baby boomers, you know, it's all about us, I guess. <laughs> and, you know, the, the baby boomers shifting into retirement is a big deal. It's, right. you know, 10,000 baby boomers per day are shifting becoming from being workers who pay into programs like Social Security and Medicare to becoming retirees who depend on those programs. Now, that's a big deal for the federal budget. Um, and, and, you know, you see the same at the state level when state employees are shifting from being workers to retirees. That's a problem for the state and local government pensions. But it's not really a problem for the retirees themselves. Right. They are, by and large, getting paid very well. Retiree incomes, you know, over the past 30 years or so have grown much faster than incomes from working really? age households. Poverty has declined. And most retirees in surveys, if you ask them, you know, the vast majority say, hey, we're doing okay. It's, so there's a retirement crisis is sort of everywhere in the news media, but when you look around you among actual retirees, it's really, it's pretty unusual. So you've been working on pension reform a long, long time. I've worked on it a little bit. 
um, from the perspective of education and teachers. And I just believe, I mean, you do really high quality work. You have all the data to back up what you do, which is the idea that a lot of our pensions are heading towards crisis level. Um, I talk about that in teacher pensions, and I just feel like it makes me sound mean, like I'm, I'm a mean person. I don't like public school teachers. I want to take their pension benefits out of their mailbox every month, these people who have worked and given so much. And now here I am, and you are, now we're talking about old people. And now we're, it's like, they're doing fine. Don't believe the stories, you know. But I think it's really easy to find the stories to support this narrative of these poor old people who who can't pay the electric bill. They have nothing to eat. Just like the the narrative is very sympathetic on retired teachers. So how do you feel about taking this one on in addition to taking on public school teachers? Well, sure. It's You're looking at a variety of different things. I'm not out there saying every single retiree is doing fine. Look, we're, we're living in the real world and things don't always work out. Um, and, you know, it work, our country is 325 million people. If you're a news reporter, you want to find real world examples of people with real problems in retirement. You can find those. They're not, they don't have to make these things up. The question is when they pull examples or anecdotes for a news story, are they actually representative of what is going on among the whole population? And by and large, they're not. I'll just, I'll give you an example. I, I was speaking to a, a news reporter recently and I asked her, and she, she works on retirement issues. And I asked her, what share of retirees do you think in a survey would say they're, quote, finding it hard to get by? And she thought about it for a second. She thought, well, maybe 35% of retirees would say that. And I think if you ask most reporters, they, they, they would give you a similar story. Sure. If that question actually comes from a Federal Reserve survey, it's a survey of household economics and decision making, the actual answer for the percentage of retirees who say they're having a finding it hard to get by is 4%. Oh. Similarly, if you go to Gallup, uh, they ask people, do you have enough money, not just to get by, but to live comfortably? 80% of retirees reliably say they have enough money to live comfortably. Okay. You can look in other surveys and it shows people's satisfaction with the retirement income is improving. So the question is, why are we not reporting this? And it's if you that talk to reporters, <laughs> it's a very strange thing. They just can't process the idea that things are actually going pretty well. Um, so you know, more people have retirement accounts today. They're contributing more to their plans. Really? Total retirement savings are much higher today than they were in the past. The opposite and of what I hear. It's right? this narrative that people are very emotionally bought into, and it's really tough to twist people around that. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, I don't know, 50, 60 years ago when most of corporate America was still offering private pensions. I could be wrong about those numbers, by the way, but um, a lot of people had pensions. They had a safe retirement. They didn't have to worry about saving the money themselves. And those have largely gone away, right? And yet sure. now we have 401ks and IRAs. And the, the thinking at the time was if we do that, then no one will save and they're going to hit retirement age and they're not going to have anything in those accounts. They're not going to have nearly enough to cover the, the cost. Um, has that happened? Is that what's happened? It, basically, the answer is that is no. Okay. And partly is looking at, at the premises you're starting with. You were, you were correct that most big companies, uh, you know, corporate America, Fortune 500, they did offer traditional defined benefit pensions that offer you a fixed guaranteed benefit once you retire. The reality is most of the other parts of the economy didn't. Okay. In the 1970s, when participation in traditional pensions peaked, 
it, they peaked at 39% of the private sector workforce. Okay. So even Four at the peak, you know, six out of 10 workers didn't, didn't have one of these plans. And those plans also had what are called strict vesting requirements. You know, usually in, in, a, in a private sector pension today, to the degree they exist, you have to work five years or so to vest in your benefits. Back in those days, it was often 15 years. And oh, wow. you, you couldn't collect a benefit unless you actually retired from the company you're working for. So if you quit before retirement, you got nothing. So if you go back to 1980, Social Security did a survey then of new retirees in 1980. Sure. And they found that really very, very few retirees had any sort of private pension. In, in the bottom half of the income distribution, you know, the poorer half of the distribution, less than one in 10 retirees had any sort of private pension. Of a because either okay. you were either you're never offered one or you participated but you didn't fast or you just got a tiny benefit. So this idea that everybody had a stable retirement income really was never true. It was never true. It was never true. Okay. And so it's today, you know, people, I mean, I'm not saying 401ks are perfect. Sure. But there are two things going on with 401ks. First, they're more widespread than, than traditional pensions ever were. Okay. You know, back. Do you know peak, how the coverage, like how many percent, what percentage private workers have? Four hundred one k IRAs. It's around sixty percent. This is going on Social Security Administration research. Okay. Uh, about sixty percent of private sector workers today are actively participating okay. in a retirement plan versus a peak of forty percent gotcha. under traditional pensions. But there's a second aspect to it. And it's that with a traditional pension back in the day, your employer paid into the pension, but you didn't. Now, that sounds great, but it just means there's not as much going into the plan. Today, with 401ks, both employers and employees pay into these plans. So if you look at the amount that Americans are contributing to retirement plans today, you know, as a percentage of their wages, it's a lot higher than it was, you know, back in the day, simply because you have two parties uh, contributing okay. to it. Yeah, that makes so we've sense. got more people saving and higher contributions to the plans. So, you know, 401ks may uh, not be perfect, but when you when you have that combination, it's really hard to go that far wrong. Why do you the think... money's gotta go somewhere. Where plus people are living longer, and the reason that, or what are the reasons why the private corporations moved away from defined benefit pensions to defined contribution? Do you know? Like, it was costly, Prior right? to, yeah, prior to the mid-1970s, in 1974, there's a law called ERISA, the Employee right. Retirement and Security Act. There's sure. a federal legislation. And that more tightly regulated private sector pensions. What it said is you had to actually fund the pension, uh, meaning if you promise benefits, you have to fund it. It also said these these crazy vesting requirements where you, know, you don't actually pay benefits to people. Those had to be much shorter, so you went to five-year vesting. Prior to that, pensions were very loosely regulated. So employers were willing to offer the plans so long as they didn't have to fully fund them, sure. so long as they didn't have to let people vest. Once sure. they had to fully fund and vest, then the participation or offering of these plans immediately started to decline. Does ERISA, ERISA doesn't apply to public plans though, right? And that, that's the key. If you're thinking about the public sector pensions, yeah. in the private sector, ERISA says if you're going to offer a plan, you have to fully fund it. Not 80%, you, but so 100%. No. Okay. But ERISA says if you're going to offer a defined benefit pension, you have to fund it, and you have to have reasonable vesting requirements. Now, with those rules in place, most employers don't think it's worth offering a plan, and most employees don't think it's worth it. 
in the public sector, they're still willing to offer plans. And the reason is they're not subject to ERISA requirements. Right. So the, the level of funding in the public sector is much, much worse than, than in private sector plans. And if Missouri, you had one of these Missouri plans and yeah. you were funded, if you were subject to the private sector funding rules, you would be in big trouble. Big trouble. Like so, we pat ourselves on the back of, by saying our unfunded liability isn't that high. And my question often is, why do we have unfunded liability? Uh, under ERISA, we wouldn't be allowed to have any unfunded liability, right? Like we wouldn't even be talking about that. And I heard some terrifying numbers about Illinois recently about the amount that's owed on their pensions versus their entire GDP. Um, and so the, the fact that we're just talking about like a better amount of unfunded liability versus a worse amount under a private plan, you can't have any of that, right? If you were a, if the Missouri pensions were governed by the private sector pension funding rules, the contributions the pensions have to make each year would roughly quadruple. And why so, then so do it's people just, think it's a very different system. pensions are safe and 401ks are risky? Like that's the narrative that I often hear, um, but the, I hear this all the time when I talk about teacher pensions, but they're safe. And they're dependable. And these teachers need this safe thing. But they're not that safe. You're we're doing some work in Puerto Rico right now, right? And their plan yes. ended up being <laughs> uh, not safe as one way to describe it. In uh -huh. fact, what's going on in Puerto Rico? Is it bankrupt? Yeah, Puerto Rico is, well, legally, <laughs> bankruptcy is a legal term. Puerto Rico is, is insolvent. It is not. So they don't a... have the money to pay the pensions that everybody could thought was so, so safe and so reliable. Yeah, it is not. Puerto Rico has not paid any of its debt for about three years. It is going through a bankruptcy type process. I'm a member of the Federal Oversight Board, which is which is kind of attempting to run that. In addition to not paying their debt, though, the in Puerto Rico they essentially ran the pensions into the ground. I mean, I went back to old actuarial reports. The actuaries say, "Look, you you've got to double your contributions, or this pension is going to run out of money." Instead of doubling contributions, Puerto Rico increased the benefits, oh. and so lo and behold, their pensions ran nice. out of money. The issue there is, I mean, the pension benefits are still being paid, and sure. this is this is the question I think where it gets the safety of the pensions. Of if a pension runs out of money, what is going to happen? Um, the board that I'm on has said that pension benefits should be cut by around 10%. Um, it should be That's done progressively to protect people terrible. at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, the reason is if, in a place like Puerto Rico, people are very, very poor. Sure. If you were to just zero out the pensions, the place would collapse. I mean, okay. it, it really would collapse. If you go to a place like Detroit, when that went bankrupt, they cut the pension liabilities by around 20%. Oh, okay. Cut both in the benefits you receive per month, but also they lowered the cost of living adjustments. So they actually had bigger cuts there. So the, the question is, do you consider that safe or not? Um, you know, you know, you're not going to get zero if one of these plans goes under. Just politically speaking, legally, it's very hard for that to happen. At the same time, though, you know, there are repercussions if a plan runs out of money, sure, um, and of people need to think about. So I still want to go back, though, to this narrative, like why the fear mongering out there? Because, you know, why why create this narrative that most of our old people are suffering and they don't have enough money to live? I mean, I guess the media, but there must be something else. I don't I'm not a conspiracy well, theorist, but yeah. there must be some vested interest in keeping this narrative alive. I know that. Um, you know, we we most of us know about the poverty rate that the government sets a poverty rate, and uh, a while back they they developed an alternative po poverty rate that 
takes into account how much money every uh, individuals get from the government through maybe food stamp benefits and, and other entitlement programs. And that made the numbers move around a little bit. And the first time I saw the uh, the newer poverty numbers, I realized that it it the result was more senior citizens living below that poverty threshold and fewer children because children are more likely to get benefits. And I thought to myself at the time, this is going to create on Capitol Hill uh, a battle between the senior citizen lobby and the child welfare lobby because it's going to be who is the more important group to focus on. And that supplemental measure has been around for a while. And sure enough, here we are, this, this, this myth is being generated and sustained that we really have a big crisis on our hands in terms of senior citizens who can't afford to live. And I, I, I you know, lobbying groups are powerful, but I just still am uh, sort of wondering there, why this is, uh, why this is, keep why keep this myth going? Sure. Well, uh, there's really, I think, two sources of it. It's, it's this con kind of odd alliance between progressives on one hand and sort of, I, I'll say, Wall Street on the other. Oh, okay. Progressives, uh, a lot of progressives and progressive groups push the idea we face a retirement crisis. Their solution is we need to expand Social Security. And there's actually a legislation in the House which would near unanimous support from, from House Democrats to expand the Social Security program. Oh. On the other hand, Wall Street, you know, the, the, the financial services industry, essentially, they're in the business of selling you investments for, for retirement. So, you know, sometimes the way I put it is, you know, what is the chance that one of these, you know, financial services companies going to tell you you're saving too much for retirement? Yeah. The answer to that is zero. Mine always and tells so they, me I'm saving too little. I, I can speak yeah. to mine. But they will... Um, you know, set up studies or examples of how much you need to save for retirement, you know, and, and, and when I've examined these, they're, they're just too much. It's, oh, it's, really? you know, they believe in their product. Imagine if the pharmaceutical company came to you and said, you have so-and-so disease, we have a product which will cure it. Now, maybe they're right, but at least we would, in the back of our minds, we say, look, they have some self-interest, they're selling the product. Sure, so right, we would right. at least be a little skeptical of the claim. When it comes to the retirement side, people just accept it uncritically. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, both, there, there is this sort of odd alliance. Progressives want to expand Social Security. Uh, the financial services industry wants to sell you more of their products. Both of them push the idea that there's a retirement crisis. The question is, who pushes back? And there is research out there that shows there just isn't one. You do. But the push problem back. is, most I push back. <laughs> you push but back. Most, We're pushing back right reporters, now. <laughs> most reporters are not particularly financially literate. They they have a tough oh, yeah. time working with numbers. Oh yeah. And you know, I admit this stuff is not easy. But at the same time, you know, often the it's not at all uncommon to see a news report on the retirement crisis. And it'll be essentially single source. They won't call more than one person to mm -hmm. check their story. Now, that's just bad reporting. That is. You, know, you have an obligation to get different sides of the story. And if you do it, you'll have fewer just terrible stories coming out. I mean, just to cite an example, I have a piece in the Washington Examiner today that looks at stories that were in the New York Times, the Financial Times, Washington Post, and the Los Angeles Times all claiming there's this boom, a crisis in bankruptcies among retirees. You know, more, and then they say it's because pensions are disappearing, healthcare costs are rising, yeah, so on yeah. and so forth. Nobody actually went and checked the data from the New York Federal Reserve, which shows that the, the bankruptcy rate, the rate of filing bankruptcy among retirees has fallen by 37% since the yeah. year 2000. And retirees file bankruptcy at much lower rates than anybody else. Sure. 
all they had to do was Google it and figure it out, and they couldn't get that far. Well, I know it's you're... just a lot of us lazy reporting. Yeah, I know you're right. I mean, I'm not. I don't want to call them financially illiterate, but the topic of pensions is a tough one for me to talk about to make any sense to people who are listening. I just, you get into numbers right away, you get into rates of return, you get into unfunded liabilities, and I think people shut down, and it doesn't apply to that many people. So the people who care a lot about it are the retired teachers who are getting a pension today. And so if I say anything about maybe this not being the best system from Missouri going forwards, I immediately hear from the retired teachers association saying, why do you want to take our money? It's like, I I don't want to take anyone's money. I've said that um, my colleagues, James Schulz and I did a podcast on this. We started it by saying, I don't want to take anyone's money. I don't want to take anyone's pension. And I like public school teachers. I really do. And I, and senior citizens, but it still comes off as like, I'm a cold-hearted person who doesn't care, and then people don't understand the mechanics. So I can't. It's hard to convince people of why they should uh, at least get at least give a look or a listen to what we have to say. Sure. Well, I mean, the complexity of these traditional pensions is one reason why they're so underfunded. If you have right. a 401k and your employer says we're going to match three percent or six percent of your wages, you can look at your account statement at the end of the year. You know whether it happened or not. Defined benefit pensions are so complicated, dealing with discount rates and mortality and disability rates and the whole kit and caboodle, that it is so easy that if a, if, a, if a government is finding the contributions to be so high, it's very easy for them just to tweak the assumptions all a little bit in one direction and keep their contributions low. And nobody is going to figure it out until the unfunded liabilities You'd have build to up. read the annual financial report of the fund, which no one's going to do, right? And I, although I, I will say that there are people who have pushed back at me because there are teachers who think that they have an account with their name on it, that they're putting their pension um, contribution into and the school system's putting a pension contribution in mm-hmm. and that they own that. And that even that piece of, which is wildly wrong, even that piece of information, I have a hard time convincing people like you don't have an account with your name. You don't own sure. anything. And in fact, well, mo- one, Go ahead. one problem we had down in Puerto Rico was around the year 2000, they created a new pension system that looked like personal accounts as a cash balance plan. Oh, nice, yeah. And they did this because their traditional defined benefit plan um, was becoming underfunded. They said, we're going to switch this cash balance plan. It looks like you have a personal account. You have this account balance. You get a statement to the end of the year. But that cash balance plan, it was kind of part of the, the preceding pension. And um, so when the old pensions started running out of money, they started pulling money out of the cash oh, balance yeah. plan. People thought That's they had an account, terrible. but in fact they didn't. So it was just a real surprise, and nobody knew. And this is the problem. That, and so what we said down there is that sounds illegal to me. Can they do that? Could they do that? It's perfectly legal. Okay, good. That's the problem. It's and and this is and this is the issue. That it's just there is nothing that the pensions are doing which is which is obviously illegal. The problem is they're essentially unregulated. If they were because they're not subject to ERISA. They're not subject, and, and there's no essentially no real regulation at the state level. They're self-regulated. Mm. Generally, we don't believe self-regulation is a good idea because we even there's always incentives to underfund. Mm-hmm. And so, if if the state and local government pensions were subject to federal rules, yes, then there would clearly be all sorts of illegal things going on. The problem is they're not. And so, to be frank, they need to be regulated because the states, you know, around the country have shown they can't really properly fund these plans themselves either fully fund it or don't offer it. Sure. What they want to do is do somewhere in between. 
And, and what you're doing is just kicking the can down the road so either future taxpayers or future retirees end up sitting on the bill. And that's just not good stewardship. All right, let's go back to this half of 55-year-olds have no retirement savings or whatever the line is that I hear. What is, what's what's the truth about well, it's that? Wrong. It's wrong. And this, this touches back on the I don't have to worry. Issue. Okay. No, well... That, that figure came from what's called the GAO, the Government Accountability Office, which is a big federal kind of almost research bureau. And they have bought into this retirement crisis narrative. They like to make headlines. So they put out this, this figure, half of Americans uh, 55 and older or something along those lines have no retirement savings. Gives me anxiety. The way they do this is they say, if, if you have a, a 401k or an IRA, that counts as retirement savings. But what about the 20% of workers uh, who have a traditional pension, you know, who are government employees? Well, they don't count that as retirement savings. So we're and at a lot of even 70%. retired private sector workers, yeah. a lot of even private sector workers have, still have traditional pension benefits. They're not counted as having retirement savings. Okay. If you actually include both retirement counts and traditional pensions, the answer is about 75% of older Americans have retirement savings. Okay. And people say, well, what about the other 25%? Those folks are generally quite poor. They, If you look at near retirees who have no retirement savings, their average per capita earnings are somewhere around $11,000. These are low-income people. We should focus so on that. So the idea we should... Yeah, we, it, yeah, the idea that these very low-income people who are participating in Social Security or get a progressive benefit from that, the idea that they need to save more for retirement just doesn't really make sense. They can't. So this statistic, once you start pulling on the strings, the whole thing falls apart, but people will just publish the statistic, other people will repeat it, and then, you, then you've got to try to you know, you know, put, put the horse back in the barn in that sense, and it's very hard to do. Well, you're doing well, it. You're, you're trying. You read are just very bad. <laughs> uh, st statistics, whatever the saying is. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, good. That's good to know. I feel better. I did have anxiety about that. Now I'm going to put those fears to rest. Uh, nice talking with you this morning about that and um, look forward to talking more about other pension work that you do because you do a lot oh. of it and it's great. <laughs> great to be with you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you for listening to the Show Me Institute podcast. Find more at showmeinstitute.org.